And let me just say, <clears throat> living with a vision isn't seeing what's around you. It's knowing what God's put in you. Sight and vision are not the same. They're two different things. And when you begin to realize what the vision is that God's put in your life, and by the way, every person that the Lord's brought into the world, everyone who comes to Jesus, God has put a vision for your life in you. And it's in there. You may have glimpsed it a few times. I am guaranteeing you this morning, God has been trying to get your attention about it. You may be aware of it. You may not be. But each and every one of us, one of the most important things you could do in your life is, what is God's vision for me? Who am I from God's perspective? And then begin to put that to work. And go to work becoming the person in that vision. Now, when that happens and God has put a vision in your life and you realize that that has been put in there, that vision is going to come into your life and produce four things. Four things are going to happen as a result of that vision in your life. And we've shared uh, the first two, and I want to share the third one this morning. The first one is it will create an inescapable desire. That vision is full of hunger and desire. There th there's something in your life or some things in your life that you just have a burning passion, desire. They've been there probably since you were a kid. The second thing it's going to bring in your life is it's going to open some doors. God's vision always produces open doors in people's lives. The third thing I want to talk about is this morning, the vision that God puts in your life comes with words, special words, words that God has put in there to guide you and to guide your life. Now, God projects a vision in your life through words. Remember what I said, most of us go through life trying to figure out what our path is by looking, what do we see? That's, that's why billions of dollars are spent in the advertising industry because people live by what they see. We get in trouble by what we see. Sometimes we get lucky by what we see. But the point is that true vision comes from the heart. And it doesn't come by what you see necessarily, but by what you hear. Now, sometimes you'll see something. God will speak to you about what you see. But the heart is hearing God speaking, even though it may be about something that you're looking at. So God projects vision in your life through words that he gives you to guide you forward in his assigned purpose for your life. So you have assigned purpose, and the Lord is trying to get your attention about it and develop you in that purpose, and so he has given words to you. And I bet this morning some of you are going to sit there and say, I knew it. I knew that that scripture, it's been with me all my life. I, oh, I know that that thing that came to me in a dream that I haven't been able to shake it, that was God speaking to me. So some of you are going to realize that God has spoken a vision to you. Others you know he has, but you haven't known what to do with it. And, and perhaps it's been sitting on the shelf. So I want to just talk to you a little bit about how to work with the words that God gives you that produce vision in your life. Now, his words can, to you can come one of two ways. They can either be scripture, and um, 
Now, we read the scriptures. We, we read the whole Bible front to back. We learn it. We memorize it. We practice it. But this is, this is different. This is when the Holy Spirit takes a verse, maybe one verse, maybe a section of verses, maybe a phrase out of a verse, and he lifts it, and he just burns it, etches it into your spirit. It's yours. It's who you are. That thing just follows you around. It defines you. It, it is the thing that provokes faith in you. So that's, that's one way the Lord will just illuminate a scripture. The other way is the Holy Spirit himself will just speak to you. Oftentimes in the Bible, it happened in dreams. God would give people dreams. Other times they'd be praying. The Holy Spirit would speak what we call a word, speak a word to a person. Now, I can ramble on, but God never rambles on. And he, he, his, when he speaks a word, it's, it's a, just a handful of words. It's a little phrase, but it comes with a big explosive understanding. Every single person in the Bible, every single man or woman that knew God, that walked with God, they interacted with God through a vision that God gave them. They all experienced what I'm talking about. They were guided by a vision formed by the words that God had spoken to them. Now, of all these different people in the Bible, none of them really illustrate this point more dramatically than Abraham. Abraham was a man that knew what it was like to live with a vision and to become the vision that God had put in his heart. And so I hope you'll relate to Abraham this morning. Before I read this section of scripture, if you've got your Bible, how many of you have a Bible with you this morning? Let me see here. Just wave them around. What's wow, awesome? Awesome. Praise God. You know, in the digital age, you know, people pretty much leave the Bible at home or they just figure, well, I know it. I've got it in my heart. But I love to see Christians bring the Bible back out. Like I often say, man, put it on the dashboard of your car. When you go to Walmart, they can go, oh, man, look at another nut, Bible nut, when they go by your car. So at any rate, before I read this section of Scripture in Romans 4, verse 16 through 21, let me just set it up for you. Most of you are probably familiar with the story of Abraham, but I don't want to assume that, that everybody is. So let me at least just kind of put the framework so at this time in human history, several thousand years ago, there is, there is no relationship with God that anyone has. There's, there's, there's no church, there's no fellowship, there's no, no faith, there's no scripture. And um, the Lord needs to engage the human race to save us he doesn't just throw something down in the air and just changes everybody. He's got to enter the heart because that's where the problem took place. Was. So he's got to enter the heart of people. So he gets the attention of one man. God doesn't need a lot to work with. Uh, you could be that one man or woman. So he gets this one man, Abraham, and he speaks to him. And he's got a plan for Abraham's life. His plan is that out of Abraham's lineage will come not only the nation of Israel, but many nations, and through his lineage, his direct lineage, will come himself, becoming a man, coming into the world as the Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So that is Abraham's calling. So God shows up, speaks to Abraham, who is living with his father some seven, eight hundred miles east of the promised land that, that we now know as Israel, in the house of his father, who's an idol maker. So God loves working with people. He's not too particular. He loves people. He takes them where he finds them. And so he took Abraham, and he knew that Abraham would believe God. He knew that Abraham would be a man of faith. And so he speaks to him, and he says, I am the living God, and I want to make a covenant. I wish I had time to talk about the blood covenant this morning, but you can catch some of those teachings. Those who have been here a while, you've heard them. But I want to make a blood covenant with you, Abraham, and through you I am going to save the world. The world, the future world, is in you. And your descendants will outnumber the sands on the sea and the stars in the heaven. So Abraham's like, wow, God spoke to me, and I'm going to be the father of many nations. Now, um, God calls him to leave his home and go to this land. He said, this is all going to take place in a brand new stage that I've set up for you. And it's, it's the land of Canaan, and I want you to go there. And God leads him, so he gets on his camel, takes his whole household, his, his wife. They have no children. And they head west, and they go into the land of Canaan. When they get there, God says, stop, this is the place. And God has said, I'm going to make you the father <clears throat> of nations. Now, Abraham is 75 years old. They've got no kids because his wife's barren. So Abraham is believing something that is nuts. He's and he has invested his whole family, uprooted them and taken them to a place he's never been before. So I want you to appreciate what's going on. God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And so when God speaks to you and puts a vision in you, you may feel crazy. Mama may not get it. Daddy may say, stop that foolishness. Your friends, you know, may not support you. You may not find a whole lot of people that are going to line up behind you and say, let me help you in this thing. As a matter of fact, most of the time when God gives us a vision, it's designed to corral you into a room with God. <laughs> it's him and you. And God says, I'm going to show you what I can do. Praise the Lord. So at any rate, 25 years later, 25 years this man's lived with a vision. He still has no children. God changed his name from exalted father, made it more embarrassing, and turned it into father of a multitude. So Abraham's been going around for 25 years referring to himself as father of a multitude. And he's got no children, but he's holding on to the promise of God. So you with me so far? You get what's going on? So he has a promise, a promise. That promise is, is spoken to him by words that God has spoke to, spoke to him. And <clears throat> these words were spoken to him by the Holy Spirit. And they're in there, and they are his vision. They define him. He is that man in that vision. Now, Romans 4 talks about this and, and gives a little condensed illustration. When he's 99 years old, his wife becomes pregnant and they have Isaac. And Isaac 
has Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons that become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel and just fans out through there. And out of the one uh, son, um, uh, Judah, generations later comes Jesus of Nazareth. Glory to God. And now all the nations are streaming in to Abraham's lineage, not through the biological connection with, the, with Abraham's descendants, but the connection of faith, praise the Lord, through uh, Abraham. So listen to this. This section of scripture, I would advise you, Romans 4, 16 through 18, study it, make it one of those sections that you really spend time with. It is chock full of revelation knowledge and it will speak to you. It's powerful. So many nuances in this. We just don't have time to break them all down, but let's just follow in. Paul writes, Therefore the promise is based on faith so that it can be a gift. Consequently, the promise is guaranteed to every descendant, not only those who are descendants by obeying Moses' teaching, Moses came generations later, but but also those who are descendants by believing. Stop for a moment. I've just got to make this point. In the world, there's only one way to have descendants. It's biology. Don't pay attention to every nut and his brother out there today. There's only one way to have descendants. It's called biology. But in the kingdom of God, the way to have descendants is faith. You are joined to God through faith just as much, if not more, than my children are joined to me and their children are joined to them. That lineage in the kingdom of God and the spirit is a lineage of faith. I just thought that was great. So um, he says the promise is guaranteed to all the descendants through faith that Abraham is the father of all of us as the Lord had said to him, I have made you the father of many nations. Paul continues writing and he says, Abraham believed when he stood in the presence of the God who gives life to dead people. Oh, I wish I could just preach on that a little bit. The God who gives life to what? To dead people. You know, when it's dead, it's over with. Business deal, relationships, if it's dead, there's no coming back. God gives life, listen to me, to dead people. God gives life to dead people. So Abraham believed when he stood in the presence of God. God who gives life to dead people. And God who calls into existence things that don't even exist. And when there was nothing left, to hope for, Abraham still hoped and believed. As a result, he became the father of many nations. Look at that. He believed the vision that God spoke to him, and as a result of believing it, he became the man in that vision. As a result, he became the father of many nations, just as it had been told him, quote, that is how many your descendants will be. Paul goes on writing, Abraham did not weaken. Through faith, he regarded the facts. His own body was already good as dead now, and being a hundred years old, and his wife Sarah was unable to have children. So those were the facts. He didn't pretend they didn't exist. It says he considered them through faith. 
he considered the facts through faith. And he didn't doubt God's promise out of a lack of faith. Instead, by praising God, by giving honor to God for the promise that God had given, he became strong. He didn't become weak. He became strong by praising God for the vision that God gave because of faith. And he was absolutely confident that God would do what he had promised. That's the end of the, the text. So that's Paul's little narrative about uh, this vision and Abraham's response and faith to the vision. Now, <clears throat> who is Abraham? I'm not asking theologically. I'm asking philosophically. Theologically, is the, he is the headwaters of, the, of Israel, of the Jewish race. Um, he is the father of all of us who through faith are connected with God. That's theological. But who is Abraham philosophically? Speaking to the 21st century, who is this man? Abraham represents people for whom the conditions that they see put them beyond the blessings of God. That's who Abraham is. The blessings of God are out there, but he is a man whose conditions make him fall short. So for Abraham, the promise of God and the blessings of God are beyond reach. They're out of reach. How, have you ever messed something up so bad there's no getting it back? And all the honest people are going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did that when I left the house this morning. <laughs> Repented as I was coming through the door. No, we've all done that. This, this is ruined. I can't do anything about it. We all know that when a thing's dead, it's dead in the world. But that's because we live by sight. We don't know what God can do. Are you listening to me? So who is Abraham? He is the man for whom conditions that he sees have put God's promises out of reach. And the, in the scripture that I read to you, there was a phrase that said, when there was nothing left to hope for. So that's Abraham. And in one way, that's the whole human race. But when God speaks a vision to Abraham, listen to me, it installs authorization over his disqualification. Now, preachers love to rhyme. It's what we do. We love getting words and making them rhyme. We love rolling rhetoric. We just like, to ro like the sound of it rolling off our tongue. But don't let this rolling rhetoric get by you. When God speaks a vision to Abraham or to you, it installs authorization to overcome his disqualification. So disqualification is not the end of the story. Disqualification, even though they've put it in the grave, buried it, it's got a tombstone, that doesn't have to be the end of it. It certainly wasn't with Jesus. They had Lazarus all tidied up and put away, and the Lord messed it all up rolled away the stone, got him out of there. Lazarus, come forth. What did Jesus use? Lazarus was disqualified from life on earth. Why? Because he died. What did Jesus do? He overcame the disqualification with the use of authority. Every problem in life can be solved with the proper use of authority. And especially God's authority. 
Authorization comes from the vision God gives you. You will never have more authority in this world. You'll never walk with more authority than when you know what your vision is and you walk in that vision. God has engineered you and designed you so that His power and His authority will flow through you when you operate in that vision because His authorization will overcome all the disqualifiers. The scripture says Abraham didn't weaken through faith. Faith in what? A lot of people have faith. I have faith. It's, it's going to work out. And of course, it doesn't work out. Nothing happens. Why? That faith is not connecting to anything. You can have faith all day long if you want to. But if that faith doesn't connect you to power, and that power, the only power that's going to bring anybody out of the grave is Jesus, the resurrection and the life. So what did Abraham have faith in? The vision that God spoke to him. The vision that God spoke to him. So the Bible says, Abraham didn't weaken through faith. He regarded the facts. In other words, God's words authorized Abraham to see beyond his disqualifying conditions. God's words kept Abraham on track throughout those 25 years while he waited for that promised son, Isaac, to come. God's vision, God's words that he spoke to him kept him on track so that the world wouldn't pull him off track. How many of you know that the world is trying to pull you off track every single day? Every, why do you think everything is shiny and everything is big and everything is loud and everything is, it's all meant to capture your vision, capture your imagination and occupy a place in your head and define you and make you just another cog in the wheel, make you a slave to the world. Satan cannot defeat, there's no enchantment against the people of God. Satan cannot defeat the word of God but what he can do is fill your mind and your imagination with so much of the world that there's no room for the vision of God. The vision of God is in there competing. And guess what? It sounds crazy compared to all the reasonable stuff they teach you in school. Right? Anybody understand what I'm talking about? So as Abraham acts on the vision that God gives him, what happens? Over 25 years, I thank God that everything doesn't happen like this. Because it takes time. It takes time for God to develop us. It takes time for us to come to the place where we can really get a hold of what he is saying. And I'm so glad for that. Because over 25 years of, of holding on to that vision and living with it, guess what? He became the man in that vision. Just like Joseph became the man in his dream. Just like the Apostle Paul became the man that Jesus said that he was. Peter, all the rest of them, they all became the people. Esther became the Savior, the, the, the queen that saved Israel, who came to the kingdom for such a time as this. We live with those visions so that we become the person in that vision. The Bible says in the scripture that I read you, he didn't doubt God's promise out of a lack of faith. Instead, giving honor to God for the promise, he became strong. 
So <clears throat> you get the general concept of what we're talking about. When God speaks a vision to your heart, His words direct you both where to go and how to get there, how to step. For example, many of you have heard the scripture in Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Those are two different things. Your word is a flashlight. Back in those days when that was first written, the word was actually a candle. It is a candle to my feet. And your word is a light to my path. You can have a candle to your feet, but if you're not on a path that's lit, you're just going to walk off a cliff following your own footsteps one day. So when God gives a vision to you, it becomes that light down the path, that general direction, that vision that you are following. You don't know how to get from where you are right now to that crazy place that seems that God's calling you to. How's that going to happen? One step at a time. So he gives you a flashlight. The words that he gives you, the vision that he gives you, teach you how to manage your life in, in bites. I know how to serve Jesus today. And when tomorrow comes, I'm going to renew that fellowship and I'll know how to serve him tomorrow. And those tomorrows will add up and I will get to where that light is shining down the path. Somebody say praise the Lord if you know what I'm talking about. So the light, the vision in your life may be abstract. It may be, it's a light, but you don't know how it's going to happen or how you're going to get there. That's that vision down the road. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But it also becomes detailed instruction about how you should behave today. Today, I have to tell my friend, I am a father of many nations, and I've got to thank God for it. I've got to praise God for it. God's words to you, like I said, can come as Scripture, or they can come as the, as the Holy Spirit speaks. I'm going to share one quick example with you. There's many words that God has spoke to Kathy and I over the years. When we first left our home in Florida, and the Lord called us by a supernatural vision in 1975 to, to um, pioneer our first church up in the Northeast, that we were there for 15 years, the Lord gave us a vision and spoke to us clearly. And he gave us two verses, just two verses. And so we went up there with two verses, and God did a tremendous work. Those two verses were Psalm 127 and 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I can't begin to tell you how many problems we solved acting on that verse. The second verse was John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. See, those verses taught us where to put our feet, how to handle things, how to manage things. God got us to the end of that vision, and he's still doing that. One other thing, example I'll share with you just as an encouragement. This is a different way that God gives vision. This is not a scripture, but it's scriptural, but it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave Kathy a vision and spoke to her, and she shared it with me, and it, it became a word to us. And without going through it, in that vision, the Lord was moving down um, a line 
of his people, speaking to them, giving their assignments. He came and stopped in front of Kathy and I, and he said, you shall be taggers of the sheep. You shall tag the sheep. Boom, that was it. Kathy wakes up and she says, oh, God spoke to me. We're going to tag the sheep. What's tagging the sheep? What is, what is that? That's a thing, tagging the sheep. So she began to think, a name tag. Sheep, sheep all look alike. They all did. So we're going to help people to identify who they are. We're go, going to help show them who they are in Christ. But that's not the tags that God was talking about. So at any rate, long story made short, and this is amazing. She decides to go research the word tag. Sure enough, it's, we don't use it too much anymore today, but it was used back years ago. Um, when sheep get knots, they get little branches and junk all up in their, their fur, and it gets knotted up and everything. It, it goes from bad to worse, and as it does, it pulls, and it can create sores. They can become sick. Those are called tags. They're called tags. She looked it up under tag. It is the knots that occur in sheep just, because, just through living. And they need to be carefully cut out to relieve the suffering and to keep them from getting sick and to keep them so they can freely move about and be healthy. When we read that, we, we did our happy dance because God had spoken to us a word we had no idea even what it meant until we researched, looked it up. And that is exactly who we are. We are taggers of the sheep. In fact, I'll say this. You know, people are wired different ways. God wires you with a vision. When we see someone knotted up, we're just, I'm like a bird dog. I just, I'm attracted, I go right to it. Let, let me help you with that. that that's messed up. It, I'm sorry if I've, if I've tagged you a couple of times, but I just can't help it. It's what I do. It's a vision God's given us because God knows his sheep, his people need to be freed. They need to be able to move. They can't be all encumbered with sickness and knotted up. They need to be able to be mobile. They need to be flexible. Amen. We can't respond to the commission that Christ given, has given us if we're all entangled with the world. So when I see that entanglement, I'm like a heat-seeking missile, man. I'm just right on it. Somebody say Amen. I, I just tagged my watch. Here we go. So, At any rate, so, um, you know, that's, that's how God gives a vision. God may have spoken to you in a dream. There were several other things the Lord spoke to us about, but those, those words have guided us. They've, they've kept us out. Many times doors would open for us. Come here, join us, do this, do that. And I've pulled back and said, nah, that's not my thing. It's an awesome thing, but it's not my thing. Are you listening to me? Oh, that's great. Listen, don't spend your life jumping on other people's bandwagon. God has a bandwagon for you. Amen. And there are too many Christians running around jumping on other people's vision. Find your own. Now, maybe the Lord wants you guys are... Simpatico, you know, there's, there's a synergistic thing. Your vision interlocks with someone else's. But listen to me. People will guilt you. 
People will try to manipulate you. They don't know that they're doing it. They'll try, they, they don't know they're trying to, but they will manipulate you and try to get you to come join their vision. You can't just run and do everything that everybody wants you to do. You've got to know what God has told you to do. And then you've got to be faithful. And I want to share this one last concept with you, and then we're going to close in prayer. This may be the most exciting aspect of this. When God gives you his words that produce a, a vision, a vision in your life, <clears throat> they are designed to bring you into friendship with God. It is your vision that creates the context for your fellowship with God. Jesus became personally involved in the lives of his disciples. He talked to them about who they were. He ministered to them. He gave them assignments. He wasn't shy about speaking to them about what their life was going to be. And those assignments became the book in which their life story was written. God has a story for your life. And he will meet you in that story Otherwise, guess what you are? A churchgoer. That's fine. It's great to believe in Jesus, to have Christ in your heart, and belong to God's community. But God's got more. There's more than just going to church on Sunday. God has an adventure. You need to find that vision that God has called you to. Because that's where he will reveal intimately to you who he is in your life. You will find his promises to be true in the vision that God's called you to do. That's where he becomes real. That's where you begin to become a friend of God. I close with this one verse. Back to Psalm 119, where in verse 130 it says, Your instructions are a doorway through which light shines. They give insight to the untrained, to the young, to the naive. There's nothing wrong with being untrained. There's nothing wrong with being a novice. There's nothing wrong with being simple. Everybody starts from somewhere. You could be 70 years old and be simple. But the fact is that the entrance of God's word, the doorway, when God gives a word, speaks words to you, it gives understanding. Understanding. Nobody knows the proper knowledge of a thing like God. God knows what that is all about. And people will talk like they, their, their opinion about what's going on in life or in the world is absolute fact. Nobody really knows what that is like Jesus. They ran to Jesus. They said, your friend Lazarus, he's dying. Jesus waited four more days. In the meantime, Lazarus went from dying to dead. And they buried him. So what was Lazarus? What was his, what, what was his situation? He was dead. So the disciples said, your friend Lazarus, aren't we going to go and, and down to Bethany and see him? Jesus says, well, he's sleeping, and I need to go wake him up. The disciple says, he's sleeping? Well, if he's sleeping, that's great. He's not feeling good. Sleep, sleep is good. Jesus said, no, no, he's dead, but I am going to wake him up. 
You see, the world says Lazarus is dead. That is not the understanding. The scripture says God has given us an understanding that we may know him. Trust me, God understands things a lot more than the visible world projects. He understands the true disposition of a thing. He understands the true disposition. So God says, the words that I give you, the vision, the words I speak to you are a doorway through which light shines and they give understanding to the simple. How many of you have had God give you some understanding in your life? Go ahead. God's probably more of you than think. God has given you understanding. God has a whole lot more. The Lord understands your life and he wants to share it with you. He has a vision for your life. He wants to give it to you. I'd like you to close your Bible, turn off your devices, stand up with me. We're going to pray. This is the moment where whatever you've heard this morning that may have really opened up a door in your heart, this is where you have a chance to begin to act upon it. To begin to act upon it. And so I'd like you to join me in prayer. And let's, um, we're going to pray for those not only that are here in the house this morning, but those who may be viewing, um, viewing the video who, who really don't know Jesus. They're on the outside looking. They need to let him in. They need to let him in. So we're going to pray for that, for them to be able to let the Lord in. Number two, that each and every one of us will begin to seek God, or if you are already, really get that focus. What is my vision? What's God's vision for me? Lord, help me to know it and to walk with you in it. So let's pray. Father God, my first concern is for the person or people who really don't know you. You're still outside at the door knocking, wanting to get in. They need to open that door and receive you and let you come in. So I'm asking you, Father, to speak to their hearts and pull upon their heart. If Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart right now, and you know that he is, you need to be saved. You need to what Jesus said, you, you need to be born again. His own words. And I want to offer you that opportunity. It's so simple. It's opening the door and letting Jesus come in, acknowledging who he is in your life and receiving him. And so I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I believe you came into the world to save us as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And now, Lord, risen from the dead, paying for our sins, you are authorized to forgive us and give us life. You are our creator and I want to know you as my redeemer. I open my heart. I invite you to come in. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my king and my savior. Bring the Holy Spirit into my life. Thank you, Father. Amen. And now I want to pray for all the rest. Oh, glory to God. Oh, that hearts may open. Oh, that hunger 
may arise to know the vision that God's given you. During my message, some of you heard the part where I said the world is in there to choke, to fill you, to leave no room for the vision of God. And that, that pricked your heart. I want to pray with you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, send the wind of your spirit to blow all that junk out of our minds, out of our heart, wherever Satan through the lies of this world has gripped and taken hold of people. We break that grip over you. Receive that freedom. Be delivered now in Jesus' name <coughs> that your mind, emotions, your imagination might be offered up to the Lord and you would hear and see what God is speaking to you. Father, open our hearts. Help us to know who we are. Speak to us. Because Jesus, you are a personal Savior to everyone. Everyone. You don't give somebody authority over us that we strain our relationship through, but you are our leader. You are the bishop of our souls. Thank you, Lord. Lead us in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. Glory to God. I, I just want to say God bless you this morning. Praise the Lord. And as you leave this house, God wants you to be a blessing. So I want you to just lift your hands to the Lord. May the wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit fill you as you prepare to go out into this new week. May the love of the Father and the sweet fellowship of the Lord fill you and overflow you. So that as you go out into this week, you will be the lights of the world that Jesus says that you are. You'll go out with joy. You'll come back in with peace. And you'll bring some people with you to Jesus. Come on, everybody. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord.